Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Glad to see you. Come in, come in. Relax, relax. Yes, I'm sorry. I had that reading with Martin Munt tonight, and I was a little late. So, yes, yes, rain. Yes, warm rain. Chilling rain. Confusing rain. Spring's here. Next to summer, my least favorite time of year. Birds, flowers, promise of heat, mug. As Pentangle said, the cold days of winter are now behind us. Ah, well, as if that's a good thing. They do mention that winter will come again. Ah, now, though, it's not but months of... Look, never mind, I know it's an unpopular thing to hate spring, but believe me, I hate the summer even more. Anyway, we have drink on ice for those of you so disposed, warm beverages for those of you of a chilly nature. It's only neighborly. Look, enough of this. Tonight, here and now, in the nook, it's going to be something of a family fair tonight. I'll do one short piece. My good wife, Cecilia, will do another. And then we'll have the main fiction, read to us by an old chum and member of the uh, Starship Sofa family, Amy H. Sturgis, Dr. Amy. Oh, speaking of the Starship, by the way, you may have heard... Tony, Tony C. Smith and company have once again, what is it now, three years in a row, been nominated for a Hugo Award. As always, the awards will be announced at Worldcon, and this year, Worldcon's in Chicago. It's just three Lakeshore Drive miles down the street from the nook here. And as Tony is in the north of England, he's asked me to be on hand to accept the award for him, which I am more than terrified to do. Me, 
standing before the assembled greats of the science fiction community, authors, editors, fans, publishers, agents, et al., and expected to say a few cogent words. Well, it's not about me. It's about the starship and Tony and the whole family. Still, I'd like to thank the Academy and all the little people. Never mind, never mind. We'll think of something to say. First up tonight is a poem of sorts. It's uh, a dramatic monologue by Robert Browning. Browning's been gone since about 1889 and probably doesn't have a Facebook page or blog, but I'll bet I'm wrong about that. Most of us probably read him in college or in high school and probably didn't like him. He's remembered today mostly for his dramatic monologues, of which we will have one tonight. Remember, I promised last week I'd do a few of these from time to time. I want to do tonight a little thing that I first heard probably before I could read. Uh, I I was very, very small when I learned to read. Uh, I sat on my grandfather's lap. We called him Pop-Pop. And he read to me. He was old in my memory, but I suppose that he then was younger than I am now. So, again, not so old, but to a kid of, what, four or less. He was age itself. As he read, he underscored the words as they came from him. Chest and mouth, his finger touched the page, and the words rumbled out. And I soon learned that certain words on the page of this or that book made this sound or that. And the sounds soon became stories, and soon, soon I was reading them. I think I mentioned here another time Edgar Allan Poe was a favorite of my grandfather's. Others were Longfellow, a, a grandly silly name I always laughed at when he said it. But I always snuggled closer when he read things like The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. And Robert Browning and his dramatic monologues, he was another favorite. And here is My Last Duchess. That's my last duchess, painted on the wall, looking as if she were alive. <laughs> I call that piece a wonder now. Fra Pandolf's hands work busily a day, and there she stands. No, oh, would please you, sit, look at her. And I said, Fra Pandolf, by design, for never read strangers like you, that pictured countenance, the depth and passion of its earnest glance. But to myself, they turned, since none puts by the curtain I have drawn for you but I, and seemed as they would ask me, if they durst, how such a glance came there. So, not the first are you to turn and ask thus. Sir, t'was not her husband's presence only called that spot of joy into the duchess's cheek. 
Perhaps Fra Pandolf chanced to say, Her mantle laps over my lady's wrist too much, or paint must never hope to reproduce the faint half-flush that dies along her throat. <laughs> Such stuff was courtesy, she thought, and cause enough for calling up that spot of joy. She had a heart, <laughs> how shall I say, too soon made glad, too easily impressed. She liked whate'er she looked on, and her looks went everywhere. Uh, sir, it was all one. My favor at her breast, the dropping of the daylight in the west, the bough of cherries some officious fool broke in the orchard for her, the white mule she rode with round the terrace, all and each would draw from her alike the approving speech, or blush at least. She thanked men, good, but thanked somehow, I know not how, as if she ranked my gift of a nine hundred years old name with anybody's gift. Stop to blame this sort of trifling. <laughs> Even had you skill in speech, which I have not, to make your will quite clear to such an ones, and say, just this or that in you disgusts me, here you miss or there exceed the mark. And... If she let herself be lessened so, nor plainly set her wits to yours forsooth and made excuse, e'en then would be some stooping, and I choose never to stoop. Oh, sir, she smiled, no doubt, whene'er I passed her, but who passed without much the same smile? Hmm? This grew. I gave commands. Then all smiles stopped together. <laughs> there she stands, as if alive. Will it please you, rise. We'll meet the company below then. I repeat... The Count, your master's known munificence, is ample warrant that no just pretense of mine for dowry will be disallowed, though his fair daughter's self, as I avowed at starting, is my object. Nay, we'll go together down, sir. Uh, notice uh, Neptune, though, taming a seahorse, thought a rarity which Klaus of Innsbruck Cast in bronze for me. I can remember one time, when I was very young, I said to Pop-Pop, You read good. <laughs> oh, thank you, he said. And you... You're a good listener. I giggled at that. He's just kidding, I thought. A joke. But it wasn't until many years later I called.
caught on to that relationship, listener, reader. Anyway, short, short fiction this week comes from Sephora Jerome. Sephora has over 15 published books and a lot of short stories to her credit. A little bit about her. She's been a musician, a violinist in the London Youth Symphony Orchestra for several years when she was in her teens. She played in festivals in Aberdeen, Scotland, London, England, Banff, Alberta. She also has a passion for theater. She performed in nearly 20 shows as a teenager and young adult. And when she was in her late teens, she hosted a poetry corner of her own poetry on a local cable channel, which enabled her to present her written work to an audience. She attended York University, where she received her Bachelor of Arts degree in Fine Arts Studies with a minor in psychology. Today, Sephra is a full-time writer and is also a professional tarot counselor. She's been the author guest of honor for Nikon, probably my favorite of the dark fantasy horror conventions, and was Mistress of Ceremonies for the World Horror Convention and the Bram Stoker Awards in 2007. When she isn't working on a story, she freelances as an editor. Here's her story from Slices of Flesh, a book which I've been promoting over the last few weeks because it's got 90 great stories by 90 really good writers and because it's there to promote a number of good causes. Seth's story tonight is... All paths lead to psychopath. You can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Trailer park trash is trailer park trash. You can lead white trash to the suburbs, but you can't make him presentable. Once a cheater, always a cheater. The grass is always greener. Oh, you can rhyme off any cliché in the world to justify the disgusting behaviors of one human being to another. After all, clichés were invented for a reason. We have stereotypes because they are the result of infinite patterns of human behavior. Cheaters, liars, psychopaths, they all exist and are a fact of life. In fact, they all follow the same script if you really pay attention. Remember the charms of Ted Bundy, the handsome good looks of Paul Bernardo, the most dangerous of pathological liars, the serial killer? The most cunning of wolf in sheep's clothing is often too difficult to spot until you're in the belly of the beast. The clumsy psychopath trips off red flags like landmines early enough for escape, but it's those cunning ones who will destroy you. Hell hath no fury as a woman scorned. So true. I sat in my black van in front of what had been my home for twenty years, a home that I had scrimped and saved to buy, a home where I raised three children mostly as a single mother, only to lose it all to a psychopath and his trailer park whore. Nothing I can do to reclaim all the embezzled equity, RSPs, education funds, and stocks. Nothing to do but blame myself for trusting my handsome knight in shining armor who came into my life 
when loneliness threatened to eat me alive. How happy I had been, unknowingly dancing with Dracula, his wife waiting in the wings to suck me dry of what should have been a happy middle-class life like my neighbors and friends. Third time's the charm? Not if you've fallen under the charms of a con artist. Oh, how I believed his tales of abuse, how his girlfriends and wives never understood him, how he had been a bad boy once but had changed his evil ways, for I was the perfect woman who could help him grow into a real boy, a real man. He loved no one but me, and how could I ever accuse him of cheating? I was breaking his heart. His life as white trash was over. No more vacations and trailer parks. No more yelling and screaming and abusive bullshit. Ha <laughs> ha! The joke was on me as each passing year spun me into a deeper, dizzying ring of hell until I figured out what was really going on. But it was too late. No laws could save me or my children's inheritance or my heart. I was just another stupid idiot, hypnotized by Satan's best. My fingers clenched the steering wheel, turning my knuckles white. Five years of waiting for karma to dole out universal balance wasn't working. In fact, my husband and his whore had acquired war property and money since they finished their shell game with me. A woman's cottage, two other townhouses. Who knows how much money had been squirreled away in secret bank accounts. My reports to the police went unheeded. I was just a woman scorned, out for revenge. There's no law against women putting a lover on a deed or buying him expensive presents, even when it's unveiled to be a white trash con game all along. My teeth ground against each other so hard that I feared they would crumble and break. I saw my handsome husband and his big fat whore in the window, clinking champagne glasses, no doubt celebrating their latest victory, the deed to the farm that had belonged to the lonely old lady who lives down the street. Cheating was only a stab to the heart. He had cheated on me with all of his victims. He cheated on his partner in crime to acquire these luxuries they didn't deserve. But money is forever. I'm sure they were gleefully set up for old age. Lord knows that old whore mistress had quit her job the minute she moved into my house. Trailer trash isn't wealthy. But twenty years of equity in a suburban home was plenty to retire on. I grinned as they drank their champagne. The whore held up a large, long joint that I could see from the street. My asshole husband held up a lighter. He had to click three times until it lit. Yes, three times the charm. I drove away as my house exploded. I heard the screams of neighbors' disbelief, saw the bright orange fireball in my rearview mirror. I had told him for years that the gas fireplace was leaking. 
But being a lazy, cheap know-it-all, he never fixed it. Not during the ten years he lived with me, nor the five years after I left. It hadn't been hard to open the door, for I still had the key. The cheap, lazy bastard had never bothered to change the locks, and I knew sure as hell he wouldn't pay monthly fees for the alarm system after I'd moved out. It hadn't been hard to open the gas a little more and let the room fill up while they were planning their nefarious deeds earlier at the pub. After all, it was wing night, the favorite food of trailer trash scum. The next day, I carefully cut out the newspaper clippings of the exploded house. I trimmed them nicely and then pasted them into my scrapbook. I thumbed through it, my heart breaking with every clipping I read, wondering if I would ever learn to recognize danger before it was too late. My first cheating husband had died in a fiery highway incident when his transmission fell out. My second cheating husband had met with his untimely demise when during a three-day bender he had drunk bleach instead of his beloved vodka. And now, number three, an unfortunate gas leak. Three times the charm. Hell hath no fury. The wheel of karma turns. All paths lead to psychopath. Thanks for letting us use that, Seth. I've known Seth for a good 12, 15 years, maybe. She's a friend of the former Twilight Tale series here in Chicago, even though she lives in Toronto. And she was a constant presence at Twilight Tales events at the various cons I've been part of all over the country. In recent years, she says she's been rediscovering her joy of theater. Her youngest son is a dancer and has performed in community theater for several years, where Seth is either on stage or backstage right along with him. Lately, she's also been re-examining the silver screen. Uh, she was an extra in Love Guru and recently played Ruby in Slime City Massacre. Earlier appearances included Creep and Bust a Move, as well as a few music videos. So thanks again, Seth. Hope to see you soon in Toronto. And again, thanks to Tecilia for reading All Paths. As you know, Tecilia is my wife, my best chum, and role model always. Thank you again. And go out and buy that book, Slices of Flesh, 90 truly great horror writers, and and I'm in there too. And as I've mentioned a couple dozen times already, I guess, it's for some really good causes. So go find it, buy it, read it, love it. Okay, our main fiction tonight is from Tim Wagner. If for no other reason, you'll remember Tim's very short piece, Unwoven, from an earlier Tales to Terrify. He tells us at age five, he created a comic book version of King Kong versus Godzilla. 
In a few more years, he began selling professionally. Since he's published more than 20 novels and two short story collections, he's done articles on writing for, among other places, Writer's Digest and Writer's Journal. He teaches creative writing at Sinclair Community College and in Seton Hill University's Master of Fine Arts in Writing Popular Fiction program. Here is Tim's Long Way Home. Lauren felt the first raindrop on the back of her left hand. Without thinking, she called out, Come on, Alex, time to go. Before she was finished speaking, another drop landed on the back of her neck. On some level, she was already starting to become suspicious. The drops were warm, and they didn't feel right on her skin, were too thick, too globby. But none of that registered on her conscious mind, not yet. She was too concerned with getting her son to listen to her. Alex? He was on the spider climber with three other kids, all of them about the same age, all arms and legs and must hair and crackling energy. They circled the top of the climber, playing a game of tag, shouting and laughing. Another drop, this one striking the back of her right wrist. She didn't look at it. Lauren took her hands away from the paperback thriller she had been reading, allowed the book to flip shut. She lay it flat on the surface of the wooden table where she had been sitting, a surface that was now speckled with tiny red dots that she almost, but didn't quite, take note of. She stood and began walking toward the climber, toward Alex and his playmates, none of whom he'd met before this afternoon. She forced herself to walk at a measured pace and did her best to ignore the fluttery, crawly feeling growing in the pit of her stomach. He won't fall. He's too old to fall, and even if he did, the ground beneath him is covered with cedar chips to cushion the impact. He couldn't get hurt if he tried. The thoughts didn't help. If anything, they only increased her nervousness. It had taken quite an effort for her to sit and read while Alex played with the other children. This was a large playground with swings, climbers, balance beams, and a large wooden structure built to resemble a castle. It half-circled the play area, with stairs to climb up and corridors to run along, tunnels to crawl through, and poles to slide down. There was no way to keep a close eye on your children here, not unless you followed on their heels as they played. Lauren knew, because they had come here before, and she had shadowed Alex every time, never more than a few feet away, never taking her eyes off him, making certain he was okay. But on the way here today, Alex had asked if she would sit at one of the tables near the play area instead. She'd almost asked why, but she didn't because she knew the answer. Alex was seven. He didn't need, didn't want, Mommy hovering over him while he played, especially not if he hoped to hook up with some other kids and maybe make a few new friends. And so she'd agreed and sat and pretended to read James Patterson, glancing at her watch every five minutes and trying to ignore the whoops and shouts of the children as they played, telling herself they were just having fun, that no one had fallen and gotten hurt. She'd managed to leave Alex alone for almost 45 minutes, but she couldn't take it any longer, and the rain, though little more than a sprinkle so far, had given her a pretext to call off the fun and take him home. "'Come on, Alex, it's starting to rain.' She was almost to the climber now, and she felt more drops, more warm drops, sticky drops, plap against her skin. She noticed none of the other parents, mostly moms, but there were a few dads as well, 
weren't coming to get their kids. They stood around in clumps of two and three, chatting, ignoring their children, probably glad not to have to worry about them for a while. Lauren envied those parents. She couldn't stop worrying, no matter what. She reached the climber and had to resist the urge to reach up and grab Alex by the arm to get his attention. She knew he'd resent her doing so, especially in front of the other kids. It's time we were going, Alex. He kept circling the climber, pursuing and being pursued in turn. But he acknowledged her approach with a sullen glance. Oh, Mom, just a few more minutes, please. It was a warm Sunday afternoon in early May, and Alex's red hair was sweaty at the ends. His normally fair skin flushed from his exertions. He needed to rest, needed a drink of water. He did not need to keep playing. Lauren felt a warm drop strike her throat, and she reached up and ran her fingers over the puckered flesh of a scar that peeked out from beneath the collar of her blouse. It was an old habit, something she often did when she was nervous. You've played long enough. I have to get home and get dinner started, and you have some homework you need to finish up before tomorrow. She used her mommy means it voice and added a frown to reinforce her words. It worked. Alex groaned, but he leapt down from the climber and landed with a soft thunk on the cedar chips. I gotta go, guys. This elicited a couple of aw oh, mans and no ways from the other boys, but a second later they returned to their game of tag as if Alex didn't exist. He started walking toward Lauren, dragging his feet through the cedar chips, and she almost held out her hand to him the way she had when he was a toddler, but she restrained herself. He was a big boy now, she reminded herself. Too big to hold Mommy's hand in the park, especially in front of other kids. Alex wore a white t shirt with a picture of SpongeBob SquarePants on the front, khaki shorts, and running shoes. His shirt was dotted with dark spots, which Lauren at first took to be daubs of mud, though the ground was dry, or at least it had been before it started to rain. But as she watched, another spot appeared, then another, and she realized they were caused by raindrops hitting her son. Why were they so dark? Then a drop struck his cheek, just below his left eye, and she saw why they were so dark. It wasn't a drop of water, it was a drop of blood. Hold up for a second, sweetie. Her voice sounded too high and quavery, despite her efforts to remain calm. Alex stopped obediently in front of her, and she reached out to touch the drop on his cheek. But before her fingers could reach his flesh, another drop splattered against the back of her hand. And she brought it to her face. The substance was thick, colored a darkish red that was almost black, and it gave off a sour, coppery tang. Blood. Her stomach dropped, and a cold shiver ran along the length of her spine. Impossible, she told herself, her rational mind rising to counter her burgeoning fear. Blood simply did not fall from the sky. It was probably just a trick of the light. The sky was starting to cloud over, the air taking on a purplish here comes a storm tint, dark enough to make water look like blood. Or maybe the rain had been discolored by some sort of pollutant. There were a number of factories on the edge of town, smokestacks pumping out white plumes of toxic chemical cocktails into the atmosphere. Whatever the hell this dark rain was, Lauren knew that she wanted to get her son out of it as quickly as possible. So, despite her earlier restraint, she grabbed Alex's hand and began dragging him toward the parking lot. He made a squawk of protest and tried to pull free of her grip, but he came, and that was all that mattered right now. 
They passed the table where she'd been sitting, and she saw her book sitting there, but she didn't want to take the time to get it. Instinct told her that she needed to get her son out of this rain now, and to hell with James Patterson. Lauren had on a white blouse with light blue shorts, and as she towed Alex across the grass, reddish black drops spattered on her bare legs and arms, warm and sticky. A wave of revulsion washed through her, and she almost stopped to smear the gook off her flesh, but she resisted. She could worry about cleaning the stuff off of her and Alex when they were both safe inside the van. As they drew near their Ford Aerostar, Lauren fished the keys out of her shorts pocket and thumbed the remote. The van's locks snicked open, and she pulled Alex toward the side door. Mom, what is this stuff? It's all ooky. Never mind that right now. Let's just get inside. The Aerostar was dotted red-black, almost as if it were bleeding from dozens of pinprick wounds. The handle of the side door was slick with the stuff, and Lauren had to force herself to touch it. The metal was slippery, but she was able to slide the door open without too much trouble. Alex hopped inside without being told, and Lauren saw that his hair was matted in places, and rivulets of not blood ran down his face and neck. His arms and legs were slick with the awful stuff, and his clothes were covered with dark, wet spots. From the way his eyes widened as he stared at her, she knew she looked just as bad. "'It'll be okay, honey. Don't worry.' The words were automatic, like the pre-recorded phrases programmed into a child's talking doll. She wasn't sure she believed them, but she was a mom, and those were the sorts of things moms said, even when they weren't sure they were true. Especially when... She gave Alex what she hoped was a reassuring smile, then slid the side door shut with a solid chunk. She turned and headed around the front of the van, half running, and her left foot struck a slick patch on the asphalt and nearly slid out from under her. She managed to keep herself from falling, but a jolt of fiery pain lanced through her thigh. A pulled muscle, nothing to be concerned about. She continued more slowly, limping toward the driver's side. She glanced toward the playground and saw the other parents gathering their children and beginning to head for their cars. The sky was almost night dark now, and the rain, if it could be called that, was beginning to come down more heavily. She lowered her head and squinted her eyes to keep the muck from getting in them, and kept her lips clamped shut to prevent any of it from getting in her mouth. Whatever the hell this shit was, she knew she didn't want any of it inside her. She reached the driver's door, tried to open it, but her fingers slid off the slick handle once, twice. Finally, she wrapped her fingers in the fabric of her t-shirt and was able to get enough of a grip to open the door. She climbed inside and slammed the door shut behind her. The place on her shirt where she'd touched the door handle was a large, red-wet smear. She sat in the seat, breathing heavily, heart pounding in her ears. They'd made it. The windshield was spattered with dark red globs, but Lauren could still see the other parents struggling to reach the parking lot, trying not to slip on wet grass that was becoming slicker by the moment, keeping hold of their children's hands as best they could, given the thick, red substance that was rapidly coating all of their flesh like a second, grisly skin. Lauren felt a pang of guilt. She should get out of the car, go to them, try to help. But she squashed the feeling. Her first, her only, responsibility was to Alex. She inserted the key into the ignition and started the engine. Without thinking, she activated the wipers. After all, it was raining, right? 
The blades moved across the windshield, rubber edges leaving behind viscous red smears. Fuck! She hardly ever swore, and never in front of Alex, but she figured if ever there was a time to curse, this was it. What was happening was insane. Blood, and it was blood and not some imaginary industrial waste product, let's face it, didn't just fucking fall from the fucking sky, but it was. She thumped the button on the end of the windshield wiper arm and twin jets of blue washer fluid splashed onto the red muck. She kept her thumb on the button as the blades moved back and forth, back and forth, doing their best to clear the blood away. She managed to clean enough of the windshield to see the other parents had made progress toward their cars, but not much. She stopped the washer fluid and turned off the wipers. Better to wait until the windshield was too gooped up to see again to use the blades. Mommy? Alex's voice was soft and sounded like that of a much younger child. Is everything okay? His question made her heart ache, and she felt tears threatening. She knew he didn't really want an answer, certainly not a true one. He wanted her to reassure him, to tell him everything was all right, and if it wasn't, to make it that way. That's what mommies were supposed to do. She turned around and gave her son what she hoped was a convincing simulation of a reassuring smile. Don't worry, honey. We're going home now. Alex worked to return her smile, but it didn't last long. His eyes were wide. His face, his poor, blood-streaked face, was pale, and she wondered if he were in danger of going into shock. Hell, she wondered if she was. She turned back around, her fingers reaching up to trace the line of scar tissue on her neck, and she heard the distant, faint sounds of a dog growling. Heard her mother say, I'm sorry, baby. I'm so sorry. Her scar began to throb, and she knew it was just her imagination. She glanced at the rearview mirror and caught Alex's gaze. Time to go. She threw the van into reverse and... Mindful of the slick asphalt beneath their tires, gently pressed the gas. The Aerostar began to back up, and she had to resist the urge to jam the pedal to the floor. The last thing she needed right now was to get into a wreck. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw that some of the other parents had reached their vehicles, were frantically shoving their children inside, starting car engines. In moments, the parking lot would become a demolition derby of frightened parents, all desperate to get their kids the hell out of there. Lauren and Alex had a head start, though. All she had to do was keep cool, and they'd be on the street in a matter of seconds. She braked, put the van into forward gear, and pressed the gas. Easy does it she told herself. Easy peasy, Alex might have said. It had become one of his favorite phrases of late, and she found it ringing in her mind now, echoing in Alex's delighted little boy voice. Easy peasy, easy peasy, easy peasy. And that's when the bodies began to fall. The rain was coming down hard enough now that the world seemed cloaked in crimson mist, the bodies were nothing but dark shapes at first, plummeting from the sky, striking grass and asphalt, bouncing once, twice, before finally becoming still. Not many, a half dozen or so that Lauren could see through the blood sliding down her windshield. She sat and stared, van in gear, foot on the brake. As the nearest of the shapes shuddered and started to pull itself up. Sweet Christ, what now? 
Mommy, it's a monster. Her first instinct was to tell Alex that there weren't any such things as monsters, but the words died in her throat as she watched the creature closest to them stagger to its feet not more than ten yards away. She hit the washer fluid and wipers again, cleared enough of a spot to get a decent look at the thing. Whatever the hell it was, it had been damaged by its fall. Fall from where? Part of her wondered. There was nothing above the park but empty sky. Empty, that is, before the red rain. Stick arms and legs, all, she did a quick count, nine of them, were broken in several places, and the lopsided head hung to one side as if the neck were broken, too. Its chest had burst open, and glistening organs spilled forth, purplish loops that resembled intestines, large pink things that might have been lungs, and other tumorous hunks of meat that she couldn't identify. She couldn't classify the damn thing. It looked like a hybrid of insect and lizard. But that description was a poor approximation at best. It was nothing she had ever seen before, outside of a nightmare, that is. She supposed Alex had named it best, Monster. No other word fit better. Despite its hideous injuries, the creature lurched forward as best it could on its broken limbs, each step making its exposed organs jiggle and flop about. Lauren had the impression that the thing's glistening black eyes were fixed on hers, and she knew it was coming toward them. Mommy, I want to go home now. I want to see Daddy. Alex was seven, but he sounded more like two. Lauren didn't blame him, though. She knew exactly how he felt. But she had to keep it together, for both of them. Throughout the park, other creatures, all broken and wounded, began to rise and walk, even as more continued to fall around them. If one of the things was too badly hurt from landing, it would pull or push itself forward with whatever functional limbs it still possessed. Mommy! Alex ended the word in a shriek that brought Lauren back to herself. She removed her foot from the brake, pressed the accelerator, still resisting the urge to jam down on the pedal, and Jesus, it was the hardest thing she'd ever done, and the Aerostar began rolling toward the street. A loud crunch, and Lauren jerked forward in her seat. She heard Alex cry out, wanted to turn around and comfort him, but the van was beginning to slide sideways on the slick asphalt, and she needed to hold onto the steering wheel, keep them from slipping into the grass where they might get stuck. The Aerostar came to rest at an angle to the park's entrance, blocking it. She put the van in park and was relieved to realize the engine was still running. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Thank God Daniel had taken it in for a tune-up last month. Alex was sobbing, breath hitching in his throat. Rain pattered on the roof, louder now. It was coming down harder. She turned around, smiled gently. It's okay, honey. Someone just bumped into us from behind. We're fine. As she said these words, she realized she was a fool for stopping. So what if someone had rear-ended them? This was hardly a time to worry about exchanging insurance information and wait for the police to arrive to fill out an accident report. No doubt about it. She was in shock. Horns sounded behind them, parents desperate to leave the park to get their children away from the awful, broken things that had fallen from the blood-red sky. How many seconds before they began trying to drive around the van? Or worse, ran their way through? Lauren faced forward again and gripped the gear shift. She thought she'd be able to get the Aerostar onto the street without having to back up. The passenger-side tires might have to go over the curb, but they could manage it, she hoped. Alex, still sobbing, rain still pattering, and then a loud pounding on her window. Lauren jumped, almost didn't turn to look, but she did, half expecting to see glistening black eyes set in a chitinous, scaly face staring at her. What she saw was almost as bad a crimson mask of anger, eyes filled with fury, mouth open and yelling, white teeth dotted with blood. Then she realized what she was looking at, a man covered by red rain, presumably the driver of the vehicle that had rear-ended her. Between Alex's sobbing, the rumble of the Aerostar's engine, and the drumming of the rain on the roof, she could barely make out what he was saying. But it sounded something like, what the hell kind of driving was that, you dumbass bitch? Lauren almost burst into laughter. The belly of the sky had split open and was gushing blood on the world, expelling monstrous, twisted things in the process, and this guy was pissed off about tapping bumpers. Maybe he was in shock, too. Had to be, else why would he be stupid enough to get out of his car with those creatures... Claws reached over the top of Mr. Road Rage's head, and black talons sank into the skin just above his eyes. The man screamed, and Lauren saw that the creature's fingers were long and multi-jointed, like a spider's legs. 
The thing jerked the man's head back, and Lauren expected the creature to rip it clean off the neck, but it didn't. Instead, another hand reached around with spider-like fingers and pried open the man's mouth. Red rain poured down his throat as he struggled to break free of the demonic thing that held him, but the creature was too strong. Alex's sobs had degenerated into a high-pitched keening. Lauren was distantly aware of it, but she couldn't take her eyes off of what was happening outside her window. Mr. Road Rage's skin was erupting in greenish-black patches, and his eyes were clouding over, becoming shiny, black. The rain he had swallowed was making him into one of them. Lauren felt suddenly nauseated. The rain was on her, still wet and sticky, on Alex, for God's sakes. Neither of them had swallowed any, but what if it could be absorbed through the skin? It might take a little longer to work that way, but in the end it still would... Something smacked into the passenger side window. She turned to a green-black palm pressed against the glass, multi-jointed fingers ending in black talons. Another one. And this one wanted to get in, to get at Lauren and Alex, make them drink. Fuck this shit, Lauren breathed. She put the van into drive and jammed her foot onto the gas, not caring if they slid on wet asphalt, not caring if they wrecked, not thinking about anything except the overwhelming need to get the hell out of there right fucking now. The Aerostar fishtailed, slid across grass, juddering as it went over the curb, and then they were in the street, Alex clapping, cheering, Go, Mommy, go! Lauren felt a little like cheering herself, but she kept her concentration focused on driving. Their house was only a couple miles from the park, but she knew the drive home was going to be a hell of a lot longer than the drive here. She turned on the wipers, activated the washer fluid, and eased her foot off the gas. Easy peasy, she told herself, and drove forward at a blistering five miles an hour. When Lauren was five, her mother took her into the backyard to play while she weeded the flower beds. Lauren's mother was the type of person who could only concentrate on one thing at a time, so while she was busily yanking grass from between azaleas, she didn't see her young daughter walk up to the chain-link fence, open the gate, and go through. To Lauren, it was a fine joke to play on her mommy, a game of hide-and-seek with a little adventure tossed in for good measure. She'd never gone through the gate by herself before, wasn't allowed to be in the front yard without a grown-up watching her, but the forbidden nature of what she was doing only made it all the more fun. She knew not to go very far, of course, but she thought it would be okay if she walked down the driveway to the sidewalk, maybe sat there and looked around the neighborhood, see who was out playing, watch cars go by, or just listen to the birds singing and feel the breeze move gently across her skin. But she never made it to the sidewalk. Halfway there, a neighbor's dog, a big white boxer with brown patches on its flanks, came trotting toward her. Lauren had seen the doggie before, running around the neighbor's backyard, sometimes sitting on the porch with one of its owners nearby. But Lauren had always been in the company of an adult before, and the dog had never seemed to take any special notice of her. But not so today. Today no one was around, not the dog's owners, not her parents. It was just Lauren and the doggie. She wondered how the doggy had gotten loose, wondered if maybe it was doing the same thing she was, having a little adventure and playing a joke on its owners in the process. As it came toward her, she smiled and said, 
Hi, doggy. The boxer picked up speed, started running toward her, growling low in its throat. Instinct welled up inside Lauren, and she screamed and turned to run. She'd only managed to take three steps before the dog was on her, sinking its teeth into her shoulder and shaking her like she was its favorite chew toy. She screamed and screamed, tried to pull free, rolled over and tried to hit the dog with her fists and make it let her go. But the animal held her down with its forelegs and bitter hands, teeth shredding flesh and grinding against bone. Blood gushed from the wounds, fell downward onto Lauren's face, got in her eyes and blinded her. She was distantly aware of her mother yelling something, but Lauren couldn't make out the words, couldn't even tell where they were coming from, near or far. All she was aware of was fur and claws, fangs and lolling tongue, rumbling growls and hot, smelly breath. Then she felt fire erupt on the left side of her neck, and a shriek tore free from her throat, that just as much that of an animal as any noise the dog had made. The burning pain was swiftly followed by inrushing darkness, and Lauren had only a second to wonder if she was dying before she knew nothing more. She woke in the hospital. White sheets, uncomfortably stiff bed, tubes running out of her arms. Her mother, eyes and nose red, sodden tissue clutched in her hand, sitting next to the bed. Lauren was sore all over, but the left side of her neck hurt most of all. She tried to move her right hand, but the tubes restricted her motion, so she used her left hand to reach up and feel the bandage taped to her neck. I'm sorry, baby. I'm so sorry. Mother's voice was so soft she could barely hear it. I tried. I wanted. I was so scared all I could do was stand there. If Mr. Dupree from next door hadn't come... Tears rolled down her cheeks and Mother brought the crumpled wet tissue to her face. Lauren watched her mother cry for a few minutes, and as she realized what had happened, something hardened inside the girl. She had been in trouble, her mommy had come to help her, but then her mommy hadn't helped her. Her mommy had just stood there while the dog chewed her up. Just stood there. Lauren didn't make a vow then, at least not consciously, but from that moment when she realized how truly weak her mother was, a grim determination began to grow inside her. If Lauren ever had children, she would do whatever it took to protect them, no matter what. It seemed as if the entire world was covered with blood. Streets, sidewalks, buildings, trees, everything dripped crimson. Lauren remembered something she'd learned in school, a mnemonic device to recall the color spectrum, Roy G. Biv. Red, orange, green, blue, indigo, violet. It looked as if the other colors had somehow been removed, and only the R remained. And still the rain fell, and with it, the creatures. They made driving even more difficult, as if the blood-slick roads weren't bad enough. The damn things lurched across yards, along sidewalks, through the streets. They were so slow that Lauren normally wouldn't have had much trouble driving around them, but the slippery roadways made any maneuver other than driving in a straight line tricky. She nearly lost control of the van a number of times as she detoured around one of the broken-limbed gut hangers. Worse, the damn things kept falling. Several landed right in front of their van, necessitating a last-minute course correction, and one had even struck their roof causing a dent that came down almost to the top of Alex's head. Luckily, 
Lauren had managed to keep control of the vehicle, and she watched the creature roll off into the street in her side-view mirror. But she kept driving, no matter what, all the while mentally repeating to herself, easy-peasy, easy-peasy. The blood and the creatures weren't the only hazards. The other drivers on the road were just as bad, if not worse. No one seemed to be paying any attention to traffic laws. They drove wherever they wanted, however they wanted. She'd witnessed a half-dozen wrecks and drove past the aftermath of at least a half-dozen more. So far, she'd managed to keep them from getting into an accident, though there'd been a couple near misses. They'd been driving for a half-hour, and she estimated they'd made it three-quarters of the way home. Alex still cried on and off, though his tears came silently now. She occasionally made comforting sounds, told him everything would be all right, that it wouldn't be much longer, not paying attention to her own words, letting them come out automatically. But as she drove and continued to comfort her son, one part of her mind watched the creatures, trying to learn what it could, to detect some pattern to this madness. So far, she had come to these conclusions. One, wherever the blood rain was coming from, that's also where the creatures were coming from. Two, the fall to earth damaged the creatures, but not so much that they couldn't function, at least for a while. Three, the blood rain could transform humans into the creatures, and the creatures wanted to hasten this process. Since she'd witnessed one creature forcing the man at the park to drink the red rain, she'd seen variations on the same scene over and over. Four, the farther she drove, the more unhurt creatures she saw. No broken limbs, no protruding organs. She took these to be transformed humans who, since they hadn't fallen from the sky, were not damaged. Five, after a time, and presumably reproducing by forcing people to drink red rain, the wounded creatures succumbed to their injuries and died. She'd seen hundreds of the dead creatures lying about, had even accidentally driven over a few. It reminded her somewhat of the way cicadas would leave behind the shells of the early stage, the one where they resembled giant fleas, as they changed into their winged incarnation. Six, while the human creatures that fell from the sky seemed interested only in transforming humans, the new creatures demonstrated a slightly wider range of behavior. She saw some that forced unchanged humans to drink sky blood, but she saw others that dug talons and teeth into soft pink flesh and began tearing it to shreds. Wherever she saw this happening, she ordered Alex to close his eyes and tried to ignore the canine growling that rumbled in her ears. She drove for what seemed hours more before finally seeing a street sign through her blood-smeared windshield. The sign was splattered with red, but enough of the letters were visible for her to make it out. Stafford Avenue. Their street. We're almost home, honey. Absurdly, Lauren hit her right turn signal as she pulled onto Stafford. She actually began to feel somewhat cheered. She'd gotten Alex through chickenpox, a broken collarbone, and having his tonsils and adenoids removed. She was going to get him through this, too. Damned if she wasn't. You're not dealing with a simple childhood disease here, a voice whispered in her mind. This isn't something antibiotics, hugs, or encouraging words will fix. The whole goddamn world has gone bugfuck. You can't protect Alex. Not this time. She did her best to ignore the voice and kept driving. 
Her neighborhood had become an awful parody of wintertime, with blood red replacing snow white. Trees, lawns, driveways, and houses were covered in crimson, and more was falling all the time. Sky blood gushed from rain gutters, streamed down both sides of the street toward sewer grates. She wondered how long it would be before the sewers backed up and small lakes of blood began to form. Would the rain keep coming until, like a hellish version of the biblical flood, it covered the entire world? Or would it cease once some critical mass of infestation had occurred, when there was enough transformed humans to take over the job of turning the rest? Most of the cars on Stafford Street were parked in driveways or along the curb, but there were a couple wrecks, a Geo Metro wrapped around an oak tree in someone's front yard, an SUV overturned in the middle of the road, its windows shattered. In both cases, the vehicles were empty, their drivers nowhere to be seen. Transformed? Or maybe killed? Either way, they were gone. Front doors were shut and presumably locked tight, though a few stood open, barely hanging on their hinges. It was obvious what had happened in those cases. One of them had gotten in. Daniel. Ever since the rain had begun to fall, she'd been so focused on protecting Alex and getting him home that she hadn't thought much about her husband. Normally, she would have called him on her cell phone in an emergency, but it hadn't occurred to her. Maybe it was the shock of dealing with the nightmare the world had become, or maybe she had needed her total concentration to get this far, but it was almost as if she'd completely forgotten Daniel. She took her cell phone out of the glove compartment, turned it on, and pressed the number that automatically called their home phone. One ring. Two. Three. Four. And the machine picked up. Hi, you have reached the home of Daniel, Lauren, and Alex. We can't come to the phone right now, but please leave a message after the beep. Thank you for calling. The promised beep came, and Lauren said her husband's name several times, but he didn't pick up. She disconnected, but she left the phone on, just in case he should call. Had Daniel been out puttering in the yard when the rain began to fall? Had he gotten in his Camry? intending to drive to the park and help them. She hadn't seen his car on the way home, but visibility had been so poor she could have easily missed it. Or had something else happened to him? Something bad? She didn't want to think about that. A few more minutes and you'll be home. Daniel will be there, worried sick, but happy to see you're both safe. The three of you will sit down to watch the news, and the reporters will explain not only what the fuck is going on, but what's being done to stop it. And just like that, Everything will be okay, or at least on its way to becoming okay. Easy peasy. She turned around, smiled at Alex, at pale, trembling, wild-eyed Alex. Almost there, sweetie. Just hold on another couple minutes. Her voice nearly broke on the last word, and she fought back tears. She couldn't afford to let them come, not yet. Alex didn't acknowledge her, didn't even look in her direction. He just continued staring forward. Lauren turned back around. He'll be okay once he's home. I'll make him okay. She pressed the washer fluid button to clean off the windshield again, but nothing came out. She pressed the button several times more, each more violently than the last, but still nothing. She'd used up the fluid. She took her foot off the gas, but she didn't press the brake. Not yet. 
She tried the wipers by themselves, but they hadn't worked before on their own, and they didn't work now. There was no hope for it. She'd have to roll down her window and stick her head out to see. She'd probably be okay if she kept her mouth closed. She and Alex had gotten plenty of sky blood on them at the park, but they hadn't changed. And while she would be leaving herself vulnerable to attack by one of the creatures, she'd only seen a handful prowling the neighborhood so far. She supposed one could always fall from the sky and crash down on her head. And wouldn't that be an absurdly Looney Tunes way to die? But she decided to risk it. She started to roll the window down, but then her head snapped forward and the seatbelt dug painfully into her chest. She sat for a moment, confused, hands gripping the steering wheel, white knuckle tight, before she realized the van had come to a stop. The engine sputtered once, twice, then died. No. She tried the ignition, but the engine refused to turn over. You hit one of the cars parked on the street, you couldn't see through the windshield anymore, and you took too long trying to decide what to do about it. Now here you are, less than a block from your house, and you killed your van. Smooth move. She turned to check on Alex. He sat still, lower lip trembling. Are we home yet, Mommy? They were the first words he'd spoken in what seemed like hours. Almost, baby, just a little more to go. Don't cry. Whatever you do, don't start crying, because if you do, you'll never stop. She unbuckled her seatbelt, then reached into the back to do the same for Alex. She didn't even consider the possibility that they might stay in the van and wait for someone to come help them, even if there were police officers or EMTs still alive, or still human, out there somewhere. There were hundreds of other people in town who needed help. It could take hours, hell, maybe days, before anyone could get around to helping them. And how long would it be before one or more of the creatures came scuttling down the street, searching for humans to change or to kill? They didn't have any choice. They had to walk in the rain. Alex, listen to me carefully. We're very close to our house, but our van is broken. If we want to get home, we're going to have to walk. We're going to have to go outside. Alex's eyes grew even wider, and he began shaking his head. No, they're out there, Mom. She didn't need to ask who he meant by they. We have to, sweetie. It'll only be for a few minutes. We'll be okay. He looked at her then, his gaze clear. Promise? How could she? How could she not? She smiled. Of course. Now you sit there and wait. I'm going to open my door and go outside. Then I'll open your door. After that, we'll walk the rest of the way home together, all right? A flicker of a smile. A nod. One more thing, Alex. When we're outside, we'll need to keep our mouths shut tight. The rain. It's bad, sweetie. It won't hurt us if we just get it on our skin, but we have to keep from swallowing it. Understand? Another nod, more definite this time. Good. She patted his blood-caked cheek. Let's go. She took a deep breath and prayed to whatever deity might still be listening, if any, that one of the creatures wasn't waiting outside. She opened the door, but the only thing she saw was rain. She didn't allow herself to feel relief. She knew their luck could change any moment. She stepped into the rain. She'd forgotten how warm and sticky it was, and she shuddered with revulsion. She experienced a surge of panic. What if she were wrong about how the blood rain was absorbed? What if it just took longer to change you if you got it on your skin? 
She froze, unable to lift her hand to the van's side door handle. Then she heard her mother's voice, soft, ashamed. I'm sorry, baby. I'm so sorry. I tried. I wanted. I was so scared. All I could do was stand there. The scar on Lauren's neck throbbed with a dull ache, echoing pain over two decades old but never forgotten. She wrapped her hand in her T-shirt, got a grip on the bloody side door handle, and slid the door open. She then held out a hand to her son. The fingers crimson slick. He hesitated, and she hoped she wouldn't have to say anything to encourage him, didn't want to risk opening her mouth, but she would if she had to. But it didn't come to that. Alex took her hand and allowed her to guide him out of the van and into the rain. Holding tight onto her son, Lauren began walking down the street toward their house, careful to detour around the scaly carapaces of those creatures that had dropped dead in the street like salmon dying soon after spawning. And if she saw other dark shapes in the crimson haze of the falling rain, moving shapes, she told herself they were too far away to worry about, and she kept moving. The front door of their Cape Cod was open, only a crack, but a crack was more than enough. Worse, the porch, which should have been protected by the metal awning above them, was covered with bloody patches that looked far too much like footprints for Lauren's comfort. She looked closely at them, trying to determine if they'd been made by human feet or, "'What's wrong, Mommy?' Lauren looked up from the footprints. "'Try not to talk until the... blood... rain dries.' She tried to think, but her brain felt sluggish, as if we're on the brink of shutting down. But she couldn't afford to let that happen, not yet, and she forced herself to concentrate. If Daniel had been outside working on the yard when the rain began to fall, he might have rushed inside, leaving crimson footprints on the porch, failing to close the door behind him. He wasn't normally one to forget a detail like that. He was a T-crosser and an I-daughter, if ever there was one. But there was nothing normal about today, was there? Even Daniel might forget to close the door on a day like this. And maybe those footprints were left by something else, something that got inside. Maybe Daniel's nothing more than a pile of shredded meat and splintered bone lying on the carpet. Or worse, maybe Daniel wasn't Daniel anymore. Maybe he was... She stopped that particularly nasty train of thought before it could go any further... There was no sign the door had been forced, no scratch marks on the wood or the knob. It was just open. Mom? His voice was higher pitched now. He was getting worried. Hush now. Let me think. Mom, there's something in the street. It's, it's coming this way. No time left to think. She pushed the door open and pulled Alex inside. She slammed the door shut behind them, engaged the deadbolt and latched the chain, she doubted the locks would keep one of those things out if it wanted in badly enough, but she still had to try. Maybe with the door closed, the things would ignore the house, keep searching for someone still out in the rain. And how long will it be before they start going door to door, killing or changing whoever they find? Another thought to ignore. She put a hand on Alex's shoulder and steered him away from the door and down the front hall. Mom, why is there blood on the floor? She looked down, saw bloody patches on the tile similar to those on the porch. Your father probably tracked it in. I hope. Try not to step in it. What a laugh, as if they weren't dripping the goddamn stuff everywhere. 
As soon as she said the word father, a hopeful look came into Alex's eyes. Daddy? he called, then louder, edged with panic. Daddy? Nothing. She tried. Daniel! Daniel, are you here? She listened for a reply, but again there was none. Tears began to roll down Alex's cheeks, leaving flesh-colored trails on his bloody face. Shh, it's okay. It's not okay, you lying bitch. The town's fucked, maybe the whole goddamn world for all you know. Don't tell him everything's going to be okay when you damn well know it isn't. She continued steering Alex into the living room. The carpet was stained with more blood, a violation in the place where they watched TV, played video games, listened to CDs, read books. This, more than anywhere else in the house, was the place where she, Daniel, and Alex came together as a family. It was bad enough when the blood rain and the monsters and the insanity they represented were out there. But for the madness to be in here, in their home, it was almost more than she could bear. She forced herself to look at the footprints, to try and detect a pattern in them, as if she were a hunter examining animal tracks in the snow. She couldn't tell a thing, though, other than whoever or whatever had made them had walked all over the carpet, as if determined to stain as much of it as possible, or perhaps simply mark its territory. Alex shrugged off her hand and turned to look at her. "'Where's Daddy?' Demanding now, his tone saying she better have a damn good answer. Once the rain began falling, maybe he got worried and decided to go to the park and get us. She knew this wasn't true. Daniel's Camry was still in the driveway. She hoped Alex had been too afraid of walking in the rain, and what else had been walking out there, to notice. You mean he's... outside? Wrong thing to say. Wherever he's at, he'll be home soon. Let's get ourselves cleaned up, and I bet your father will be home by the time we're finished. Alex frowned, and for a horrible instant she feared he knew she was feeding him a line of pure and utter bullshit, and that he was finally going to call her on it. But in the end he just nodded, wearily this time, she thought. She looked at the TV sitting in its place of honor on the entertainment center, screen black and empty except for two small curved reflections of mother and son. She was torn. They needed to get this damn gunk off before it infected them, but at the same time she was desperate for some news, any news, that might explain why all this was happening and what was being done about it. She debated a second more, then walked over to the TV, adding her own bloody footprints to those already smearing the carpet, and pushed the on button. The screen flared to life, high-pitched electronic tone and white letters against a blue background— Emergency broadcast system. Stay tuned for further details. She and Alex stood before the TV for a minute, then another, but despite the screen's promise, no further information was forthcoming. Lauren tried flipping to other channels, but the same message appeared on them all. She decided to leave the TV on just in case, though she had a sinking feeling that it would be some time, if ever, before anyone came on with an explanation. Worse yet, Maybe there was no explanation. The blood rain was falling and the demon things were coming down with it and reproducing simply because they were. End of story. End of the goddamned world, you mean. Lauren had been getting quite good at pushing away thoughts in the short time since the crimson rain had begun to fall, and she had no trouble getting rid of this one either. 
Come on, let's go get this stuff washed off. They left the living room and walked through the dining room. They had to pass the kitchen entrance to reach the master bathroom where the shower was, and Lauren saw the kitchen floor was, like the rest of the house, covered with bloody footprints. She also saw that the back door was wide open. Stay here. I'm going to go shut the door. Alex gripped her hand tight, obviously not wanting her to go. She smiled and gently but firmly pulled free and walked into the kitchen, stepping carefully to avoid slipping on blood-slick tile. But as she reached for the doorknob, a dark shape lurched onto the back porch. It was covered with blood rain, but patches of greenish-black hide were still visible. Glistening obsidian eyes, multi-jointed talons, nine limbs, arms, legs, and some which she couldn't put a name to, all unbroken. This creature hadn't fallen from the sky. It was a newborn. It's Daniel, she thought. Who else would it be? He's been waiting for us to come home. There was no way to tell if this thing had been her husband. No scraps of his clothing clung to the beast, and there was nothing recognizably human left in its eyes. But in the end, it didn't matter who the creature had once been, did it? It could have been Daniel, a neighbor, or a complete stranger. Whoever it had been, it was a monster now, and it was coming for them. She turned away from the door, started back toward Alex, slipping and sliding on the slick floor. She grabbed the counters to steady herself and shouted, Go to the basement now! For a moment, she thought Alex was going to freeze with terror, but he turned and ran to the basement door. He threw it open and pounded down the stairs from the sound of it taking them two and three at a time. Lauren kept making her way across the kitchen floor, trying at once to hurry and go slow so she wouldn't slip and fall. She knew that if she lost her footing, it would be all over for her. And if anything happened to her, there wouldn't be anyone left to protect Alex. She heard the creature enter the house behind her, moist, raspy breathing, clawed feet plapping on blood-covered tile. She prayed it couldn't move any faster than she could on the wet floor, that its arms weren't long enough to reach out and snag her before she made it back to the dining room. Did she feel air move behind her as if clawed fingers sliced downward, almost but not quite connecting with their prey? Maybe. She reached the dining room and the traction its carpet offered. She ran for the basement doorway, made it through, and slammed the door shut behind her. She locked it, if you could call the tiny switch on the knob that she turned a lock. She wished there was a chain, a deadbolt, a fucking crossbar, for Christ's sakes, but who had those things on the inside of a basement door? Who ever thought the day would come when you would need to barricade yourself inside because there was a monster in your kitchen? Something heavy slammed into the door, and Lauren started, nearly losing her balance. She grabbed onto the hand railing and managed to keep her balance, if barely. Another slam, this time accompanied by the soft sound of wood beginning to splinter. She turned and saw the basement below was dark. It was a wonder Alex hadn't broken his neck going down the stairs so fast without being able to see. She debated whether to turn on the light or not. Would they be safer hiding in the dark? Or would it be better to see in case she had to fight the creature? In the end, she flipped the light switch on. If there was even a chance the light would help them, she had to take it. Another slam, the sound of wood cracking louder this time. She hurried down the stairs, keeping hold of the railing so she wouldn't fall. 
Alex waited at the foot of the stairs, shivering as if he were outside in the dead of winter. Slam! Let's go into the laundry room. She took Alex's hand and led him through the finished part of the basement, pool table, minibar, dartboard on the wall, and through an open doorway into the unfinished part where the washer and dryer were, as well as Daniel's workbench. A pile of dirty clothes lay in a clump before the washer, and past the workbench were haphazard stacks of empty cardboard boxes saved from when they'd moved here almost five years ago. Keeping the boxes had seemed to make sense at the time, but now Lauren wondered what the hell they'd been thinking. Wood splintered like a shotgun blast, and she knew the thing had broken through. Lauren steered Alex to Daniel's workbench as she desperately tried to think of what to do next. Have the boy hide in the dryer? No, he was too big. Under the workbench? No, the thing would see him easily. She scanned the tools lying on the bench, hanging on hooks on corkboard, hammers, screwdrivers, saws. Could she use any of them to try to fight the creature off? She knew they could die. She'd seen plenty of their bodies during the drive home. But she also knew they were tough as hell. The original ones that fell from the sky had survived their horrible injuries long enough to reproduce. Even if she could hurt the monster thudding down the stairs, she doubted she could do enough damage to prevent it doing what it would to them. And there was no way to know what that would be. It was a newborn, and sometimes newborn creatures changed humans, sometimes they killed them. Alex was breathing rapidly, and she was afraid he might hyperventilate. She found herself looking around the basement for a bag that he could breathe into, and when she realized what she was doing, she almost laughed. What did it matter if he hyperventilated now? She strained to hear over the sound of her son's breathing. She thought the creature was close to the bottom of the stairs. In her mind, she heard the faint echoes of a dog barking, saw the apologetic, shame-filled eyes of her mother looking at her daughter lying in a hospital bed. I'm so sorry. And she understood then how her mother must have felt upon witnessing her young daughter being savaged by a dog, seeing her girl's blood spraying in the air, hearing her shrill screams of pain. No matter how much you worried, how close an eye you kept on your children, there were some things in life you couldn't protect them from. In the end, all parents are helpless and it was the realization of that horror which had frozen her mother into an action that day twenty years ago. And it was this same realization that Lauren was faced with now. She reached up and touched the scar on her neck, and her fingers came away coated with sticky blood. For an instant, she thought the old wound had reopened, but then she realized it wasn't her blood on her fingers. It was sky blood. The creature that might or might not have once been Daniel lurched into view on the other side of the doorway. It hesitated only a moment before starting toward them. Lauren knew she had only seconds left, but thanks to the blood on her fingers, she also knew that she wasn't helpless, not completely. She ran her hand through her wet hair, got as much blood as she could on her fingers. She looked down at Alex, smiled, said, I love you, sweetie and jammed her fingers into his mouth, pushed them back as far into his throat as she could. The last sound she heard was the boy gagging. The last sight she saw were greenish-black patches erupting on his skin. The last thought she had 
was, he's safe now. Then she felt talons grabbing her hair, yanking her away from Alex, but it didn't matter what happened to her anymore. She'd done what she had to do, what any good mother would have done given the circumstances. She had prepared her child to make his way in the world. Not the world as she might wish it to be, but the world as it was. A world that, from now on, Alex would call home. She tried to tell her son she was sorry, but she couldn't get the words out before the monster that might have once been her husband did as it pleased with her. Thank you, Tim. Long Way Home was originally published in 2007 in Thrillers 2 from CD Publications. His novel, Like Death, is now out in paperback in Electrons, and on April 24th, look for the Necropolis Archives. Necropolis Archives collects all three of Tim's novels in the Necropolis sequence. They are Necropolis, Dead Streets, and Dark War. These three books feature Matt Richter, Private Eye, and Zombie. I'll be there next week, Tim. And thank you, Dr. Amy, Amy H. Sturgis. Amy is an author, editor, scholar, educator, speaker, and podcaster par excellence with specialties in the fields of science fiction, fantasy, and Native American studies. She lives with her husband, Dr. Larry M. Hall, and their best friend, Virginia, the Boston Terrier, in the foothills of North Carolina. Well... That's it for the evening. Uh, yes, we got a late start tonight, but I urge you to wrap up before venturing forth into this wretched spring. Rain, mud, robins, birds, flowers. <laughs> uh, well, go on. Scoot on home. Hop into bed. Pray for a swift spring and a short summer and a return to the cold air and the chill winds of fall and lovely lovely winter. So, I hope to see you again here in the Nook next week. Until then, have wondrous nights and, of course, pleasant dreams. Hmm... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.